If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. First John chapter three. First uh, John chapter three. If you don't have a Bible and you would love a free one, uh, just either lift your hands and we will get Tony B to run one to you, or on your way out, uh, just take it. Uh, and uh, if you want to act like you're doing something wrong, like you're stealing it, go ahead, whatever, float your boat. Um, but that would be our gift to you. We would love to gift you one. Uh, and so uh, I am, I'm loving this journey that we're taking through First John, uh, not necessarily because the verses are light and fluffy, but because John is challenging us uh, to understand what walking in the gospel uh, really should look like. And, uh, and he does this by, he's been doing this by using some contrasts and comparisons. And, uh, and in my heart, this has been, very effective. I don't, I don't know if it's been effective for you, but it has been uh, very much so for me. Because John will either say, uh, he will say either you, you walk in darkness or you walk in light. Uh, we can have no sin or we can go ahead and confess our sins. We can refuse to keep God's commands or we can uh, choose to keep them. Uh, there are uh, those who love the Father and then there are those who love the world. Uh, he says we can deny Christ or we can confess Christ. He says uh, we can either believe um, we can believe there is an Antichrist, and we can believe that there is a Christ. We can, uh, those, there are those who commit sin, those who do what is right. There are children of the devil, there are children of God. This is all he's been saying for about three chapters. And uh, there are those who hate their brother and those who love their brother. And that's going to come into focus uh, even more this morning. And, and what I appreciate uh, is, is John's heart, is his willingness to refuse to cater to any of our desires to water down the gospel, uh, to try to change it to fit our own uh, desires or our own uh, temptations. In fact, uh, he refuses to soften the truth of God's love for us that's being expressed through Jesus. And he's been very honest about, about how we pursue holiness and how we live in this reflection of the sacrifice of what Jesus has done for us. And, and much of the time, uh, when we see or we hear words that draw lines in the sand like we have in First John, our instinct is to build the fence, right? Uh, if there's a line that says, well, you can either have it this way or this way, we say, wait, hold on, hold on. I live in the land of a thousand choices. Uh, and so my desire, my instinct is to fight against really only having two options and and what we do here, we, we think of this as an invasion of our, of our freedoms. And, and part of this is because of how, we, uh, how these words are presented from, from guys like me. Uh, uh, not just good-looking, small guys like me. I'm talking about pastors. Um, but why do you all laugh at the good-looking thing? That's very rude, ma'am. Uh, if this wasn't Mother's Day, I would challenge you to a duel. Um, but, but we pastors, we'll take verses like the ones that, that John gives us here and, and, and we'll use it as a way of guilting uh, each other uh, toward, towards legalism because really any religion that's based only on rule keeping will, uh, will be a pretty easy one to know, to, to make the checklist of am I good or am I not good. And what we find at the heart of the gospel is that's not completely what God is doing uh, with our lives. And, and so the problem is it removes the heart from what John is telling us. And so, so when John appears to draw these lines in the sand about our pursuit of holiness, 
he does so, and it's really, it's an incredible act of mercy that God would speak to him to speak to us. And that, that God is revealing his heart for us, that, that God has this great desire for you and for me to live a holy life. We don't, um, the Bible is very clear about that. Uh, and, but it's not to keep you from happiness or peace or purpose. In fact, uh, he wants you to know how impossible it is to have happiness and peace and purpose apart from him. That everything else that you're doing is just this, this grasping for straws. And, and so regardless of what the world is trying to sell you or what the enemy is trying to convince you of or what your own sinful desires are trying to tempt you towards, John comes in and he says, there's a way to live a life that both pleases God and brings you satisfaction. And, and so this is, this is why John is constantly telling us uh, to take your eyes off yourself. And I know that's hard because we like to look at ourselves. Um, but he says, he says, take your eyes off yourself and put your gaze on Christ. Uh, that you would constantly go back to the life, to the death, to the resurrection of Jesus. And that would change how you experience uh, the love of the Father. That everything is based on that. And so what he wants us to keep in mind now uh, is he's going to develop this, this last theme of contrast. And he's going to say, uh, he's going to move us from hate to love. Uh, and as we're moving into this second major section, we, we said this last week, that, that the first couple chapters in First John, uh, he's telling us something very specific about God. He says, God is light. Uh, that His light reveals the darkness. In fact, in Him, there is no darkness at all. So if we are truly found in Christ, then the darkness that we struggle with, we have to deal with. Okay? Now what he's doing is he's going to shift uh, some gears and he's going to tell us not only is God light, but God is love. Love. Now, a lot of us understand God is light because we've grown up and we understand the rules and the regulations. In fact, that's why some of us don't even read our Bibles because we think, ah, it's all about what you do and what you don't do, um, which is completely so much more than that. But beside the fact, um, we understand that God is light, but but my prayer for a lot of us over these next three or four weeks as we travel through the rest of this book is that we would begin to see how God is also love. Uh, that we would be able to, to tear down some of our walls when it comes to how we understand His heart for us and His motivations for us. And so, uh, let's pray. We're going to get through a couple of verses today and then we'll go to your Mother's Day lunches. And so, uh, Father, we come to You and we are thankful this morning that You care for us so greatly. We thank You that You've gifted us Your Word and the privilege that it is to, to walk in its light. And we pray this morning as, as we deal with a difficult topic that Your Holy Spirit would bring both uh, encouragement and challenge. That we would be able to see where we're living in step and out of step with Your Word. And we pray this because we long to understand more and more and more your heart for us. And we long to see more clearly who Jesus is. So we lay these requests at your feet and we wait in eager expectation for you to speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, so, so as we pay attention... Uh, to the words of Jesus, okay? Uh, if you travel through the Gospels and you listen to the things that Jesus says, uh, one of the most undeniable things that he, he will tell us is the way that we love one another in particular is the way that the world 
experiences the love of God first. Uh, he says, in fact, he puts it this way in John 13. He says, he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay? Love's a big deal ar- around here to us. Uh, we believe we are moved and motivated uh, by the love of God. And so in this passage this morning, uh, John's going to tell us two primary things as we consider the genuineness of the love that we carry, uh, the love that we treat people with. In fact, uh, and then we're going to wrap up with a powerful truth that we live in if we are indeed found in Christ. And so, so the first thing John's going to tell us is, number one, that we are to love one another, and we do, and I'm sorry, he says, love one another and do not follow the example of the world. Very plainly said. He says, love one another and do not follow the example of the world. So we start in verse 11 because we ended with verse 10 last week. Fair enough? All right, so here we go. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So he says, listen, this is nothing new. Uh, And then he's going to give us a case study. He said, we should not be like Cain, not the wrestler, uh, the guy in the Bible. Um, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? This is telling. Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in, what's that word? Death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Um, Again, happy Mother's Day. Uh, I feel like that's very fitting. Uh, I'm telling you, every time we have a Father's Day or Mother's Day, there's some Debbie Downer moment of like, you're a murderer if you hate people. And But here's what happens. Verse 11 flows very clearly out of verse 10. And and verse 10 told us last week, we got to the end of our time. It says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever practices righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so we're flowing right in. So this, this contrast becomes very clear between children of God and the children of the devil, between lovers, between haters. And to make this plain, John goes way back, way back in our story. In fact, he takes us uh, to the first murder we see in human history. And this, is, this will seem extreme, but it's not. It's very exposing. Uh, and so he goes back to the murder of Abel by his brother Cain, and he's going to address both the act and then the sinister source uh, behind it. And, and just as uh, God delights in giving life, the, the, the enemy, the devil, equally delights in producing death by instigating murder. Uh, that's what he wants. He wants strife, and he wants that to end in complete murder. Uh, and so, so we're going to find something in verses 11 through 13, and it's going to be important for us to remember that love is at the heart of the gospel. At the heart of the gospel, at the heart of what God is doing to rescue you, rests love. In fact, he's motivated by it. We're going to see in a couple weeks, uh, in fact, it might be next week, uh, when John will say, what is love? Uh, And then he won't say, baby, don't hurt me. We'll grow up a little bit. But what he, yeah, you started to chuckle as I said it. And don't hurt me no more. Um, But but what we're going to find is the Bible says that God is love. It says that he is love. He's the one who creates it 
who models it, who defines it, who puts it into motion. And so, so as we talk about love is at the, the heart of the gospel, uh, the language in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 5 comes back, and John says, I have a message to report to you, but it's nothing new. It's nothing new. In fact, you've been hearing this since you became a Christian. Uh, you need to take note of this. And, and, and the question is simply this, uh, what is the gospel message that we've received at our conversion and simply this, that we would love one another. We would walk in love. We should continually love. And this, this word about love is not just something that they heard once they got saved. It's been repeated time and time again in the Word. In fact, let me just read you, I don't know, 12 of them. So that one went down. Um, Jesus says this first in John chapter 13, I give you a command, love one another just as I have loved you you must also love one another. John chapter 15, verse 12, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. There we go. Somebody's lost your phone, it's gone forever. Alright, there's no way to find it. John chapter 15, verse 17, this is my command, love one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Romans chapter 13, verse 8, do not owe anyone anything. That's huge. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves uh, another has fulfilled the law. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, For you were called to be free, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Therefore I, prisoner of the, for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, May the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we also do for you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. About brotherly love, you don't need uh, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Hebrews chapter ten, verse twenty four. Let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. First Peter chapter one, verse twenty two. By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. First Peter chapter four, verse eight. Above all. Maintain, this is beautiful, maintain an intense love for each other since love covers a multitude of sins. Maintain an intense love for one another because love covers a multitude of our flaws and our sins and those moments when we fall short relationally. Even in this letter, John's going to command us to love in, in 3.23, in 4.7, in 4.11, in 4.12, and then 2 John chapter 5. And obviously, God, God thinks our loving uh, one another is extremely, extremely important because our love for God, our love for others flows out of our understanding of God's love for us. And this is the heart of the gospel. It is. So to love your brothers and your sisters in Christ, it stands in contrast to what John will say, that moment between Cain and Abel. Uh, in fact, he says, he says this is the tragic story. It's recorded in Genesis chapter 4. We're not going to turn there. We're not going to read it. But let me just talk to you kind of through that. Uh, Cain's actions revealed his true spiritual father. This is what John tells us, uh, that, that he was 
influenced by the devil. And Jesus will make this very clear connection in John chapter 8, verse 44, about how that's at play. So Cain's heart is filled with jealousy and envy and resentment all over this sacrifice that Abel brought to God. Abel brings a sacrifice to God that was his very best offering. Okay? Cain decided, hey, I guess God would be okay with, me eating, with him eating the leftovers. Okay? So it would be like you and me going to dinner um, and, uh, and I say, hey, so glad you're here. Love what's going on in our relationship. Um, let me eat and then you can eat whatever's left. Okay, that was the argument. And, and so, so God looks at Abel's offering and he is pleased by it. Then he looks at Cain's offering and he says, no. He goes, I don't accept those things because I'm holy. Because I deserve your very best. And, and so what happens though is Cain can't murder God, so he turns his frustration to Abel. And so envy and resentment and bitterness begin to grow and you allow that to grow long enough and hatred will show up. And you fester in your hatred long enough and you'll be drawn to do things that you never thought you were capable of doing. And for Cain, this was murdering his own flesh and blood. Looking at his brother and just killing him. And and to all this, John says, hey, um, as you interact with the world because of what Jesus has done for you, he says, don't be surprised In fact, it could be translated, uh, stop being surprised. That it is natural for the world, represented by Cain, to hate you because it hates the Father. Don't don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard when people of this world, people like Cain, hate you because it's in their nature. And we know it's in their nature because before Christ, it was in your nature. It was. So he says, stop being surprised. Now again, we can, we can probably go off on a rabbit trail. We won't. But, but about the reason why the world tends to hate Christians, um, usually it's not because of our holiness or our righteousness. It's because of our self-righteousness and our self-holiness and our ability to use the love of God as a weapon against other people. Um, but that's another lesson for a different day. And so, so John says, don't be surprised. And then he secondly will say, but also don't be surprised, but don't descend to that level of hatred. He says, he says, resist that primal urge to return hate for hate, murder with murder. And the gospel has changed you and the love is at the heart of that gospel message. And so your responses to the world that doesn't agree with you should look different. Then he tells us something about verses 14 through 15. He says, he says love provides assurance that we have eternal life. It says, love provides assurance that we have eternal life. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, uh, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So, so loving others has numerous positive benefits and blessings. Numerous. In fact, one of them is that we know we've been born again and we will have Eternal life. In fact, uh, John says that, that we have an abiding and a settled knowledge that we've passed from spiritual death uh, to eternal life because we continually love one another. We have affection for one another. In fact, in, in contrast, uh, the, the one who does not love says he, he remains in death. Okay? So now, let's, let's be very clear, though, what we're 
talking about because, and really more specifically what John is not saying. Uh, John is saying that continually loving others out of a gospel gratitude, uh, so, so for all that Jesus has done, uh, is, is proof that you understand the gospel. Okay? What he's not saying is that eternal life is earned solely by loving other people. Okay? Uh, but, but rather, that loving others is evidence that you have been changed by the heart of God. And, and so, so as I love my brothers, as I love my sisters in the community of faith well, I'm assured that I am in the family of God. In fact, Paul will tell us something very similar in Galatians chapter 6 when he says, So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith. So how we treat one another is of the utmost importance. And the reason being, again, we can go back, because how we treat one another puts on display how God loves the world. And so when there is conflict, which is inevitable, right? We deal with those in God-centered ways, in biblical ways. When we see someone being lazy spiritually, we in love come alongside and say, hey, let's go get something. Let's pick it up. When we see someone who is falling and just needs somewhere to land, we, we wrap our arms around them and we love them through that season of life. And in so doing, we get to put this incredible love that God's given us in Jesus on display to everyone that we see. In fact, the, the, the line that's being drawn can seem harsh. It says, an attitude of hate in your heart is the equivalent to having murder in your heart. And that's, not, that's nothing new. Uh, Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He comes in and he says, You've heard that it was said of the, those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says, You fool, will be, this is the harsh words, will be liable to the hell of fire. So you think he's just like, forgive and forget? No, he's like, you've got to deal with these things. You've got to walk through in forgiveness. And so John says, says, if you have no love, you have no life. And love and hate are moral and spiritual opposites. That's hard, but it's true. He says you can't resi- they can't reside in the same heart. And so, so next he builds on, on how we are to love one another by talking about our service toward one another. So, so not only do we love one another, but we, we serve one another. And he'll say this in, in number two, that you serve one another and you follow the example of Jesus. You serve one another and you just follow the example of Jesus. Verses uh, 16 through 18. Uh, by this we know love. Okay, so if you're wondering what is love here, all right, it says, by this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and you say, boy, that's great. I'm so thankful for that. But then he doesn't stop, does he? He says that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Powerful question. It says, little children, okay, again, he likes to call us this. He's not insulting you. All right, he's just letting you know I'm more mature than you are. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
Let us do that. So, so, so what he's saying is there's a, there's a beautiful relationship between John 3.16, right? We know that one. We've all, we've all been to a, a football game and we've seen the sign, right? For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whoever who believes in, believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life, right? We, we know that one. But there's this beautiful relationship when you look at John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. Because the former is this demonstration of love and the latter is this explanation of love. John 3.16 says that God gave His Son for us and John, 1 John 3.16 says we should give ourselves to others. It's an incredible parallel. David Platt put it this way, the Bible says that, that if you want to see love, they simply look at the cross. The Bible says if you want to show love, just look at the cross. The Bible says that if you want to know love, look at the cross. The Bible says that if you want to live love, look at the cross. That, that we, we come to an acquired and abiding knowledge of what love is when we consider the severe and substitutionary sacrifice of the Son of God on our behalf. That He lived the life we should have lived but didn't. And He died the death we should have died, but now we don't have to die. Love at its core, is about self-sacrifice, self-substitution. And in our case, it's for those who are completely and totally unworthy. Love at its core is about self-sacrifice and self-substitution. And I find myself thinking most of the time when I struggle, when I see love not on display, it's because there's absolutely no self-sacrifice. It's always about self. It's always about selfish needs. It's about inconsideration. It's about what I feel and what I believe I deserve. So we look to Jesus and we see Him consistently and constantly, I should say, pouring Himself out. And so, so once we take in and really get our head around this amazing truth, then I, I believe what the Bible is saying. Your only reasonable reaction is to honor God. When you, when you consider what He has done to rescue you who was totally unworthy, even on your best days, totally unworthy. He says, when you would consider how He changes us, um, our only response is to honor Him with our lives. If we really understand the magnitude of, of what's been done for us, the implications of eternity, we don't feel obligated to show gratitude. We won't merely be thankful, or we won't have to muster that up, um, will joyfully present our lives to God. And the more you do that, the less tension you feel about the things of the world. So Warren Wiersbe said this, self-preservation is the first law of physical life, right? I, I need to preserve myself. And then he says, but self-sacrifice is the first law of spiritual life. John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so, so here's something we're learning um, uh, in, in verse 16. I don't think I told you. Uh, that service means you, you might need to die for others. This is the example that we're called to follow. That service means uh, you may, may mean dying. And I think if we can get our heads and our hearts around that severe act of service, 
then how much easier are these other inconveniences when it comes to our relationships? That if, if I'm willing to die for you, then I should be willing to do a lot of other lesser things for you. I'm willing to be inconvenienced by your situation or your, your schedule. I'm willing to walk with you in, in matters that really aren't of life and death, though you may feel they are matters of life and death. And I think the Bible brings us to this extreme of what love really looks like. And it says, hey, we're not asking you to do anything we haven't already done. We see Christ being modeled for that. And so we walk in His wake. And then in verses 17 and 18, we see something from this. That, that our service to others always involves giving. Always involves giving. Verse 17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He says, little children, let us love, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And, and here's the thing, I, I would, the statement, I would die for you, sounds very noble, and it sounds very spiritual, but the odds are you won't have to live up to that declaration. You won't. You can say those things and say, I don't really think that's going to happen. But, but while you're willing to die for me, the question is, would you be willing to give me something to eat? What, could, could you lend an extra shirt? Or better yet, could you give me a coat? Could, could you let me sleep on your couch until I get my life back together? Could you, could you help me out with my electric bill or, or for a few meds for my ki- sick kids could, could you are you willing to do that now you say i would die for you but would you are you willing to do these smaller things because here's the thing in this moment i don't need you to die for me i just need a little help i just need a little help in this season and in verses 17 and 18 john gets down to where the, the rubber does meet the road and he provides some very basic real practical advice about love in the context of everyday living. And, and he first uses this negative example in 17, and he makes this greater to lesser argument based on what he said in verse 16, that, that Jesus had life to give and you have stuff to give. Okay? Jesus had life to give, you have stuff to give. Jesus saw your need and he gave his life. And now we, however, John's argument is, we see our brother's needs and we close our eyes to it. And so we ask this question. How then can God's love reside in you? And, and it's obvious and it's undeniable. And he just, he's like, it doesn't. It doesn't. Now you might look spiritual. You might do spiritual things. You might go to spiritual places. But, but this is where the love of God becomes evident. And here's what John knows. He knows that our heart controls our hands. You with? He knows that our heart controls our hands. And so a closed heart will always result in closed hands. And it's evident that your heart has really never been opened by the key of the gospel. That that John concludes his argument in verse 18 with this simple maxim. Um, He says, Little children, we must not love with words or speech, but with... um, uh, but with truth in action. And so, so love is, is much more than making this, this great profession of faith or, or much more than giving a great speech with impressive rhetoric. Uh, this is what John, uh, 
Paul will tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in that very famous passage of what love is. Right? He starts that passage by saying, hey, if, if, I, can, if I can be the most eloquent speaker, but I have not love, it's... What does it say? It's, it's the clanging of gongs, resounding cymbals. And so... He says, says, love is an action word that always expresses itself in good deeds done in the context of, of truth. And we can start wrapping this up. So. And so, so, so John adds this word truth, though, for a very good reason. Very good reason. In fact, words can be, act, can be empty and actions can be hypocritical. And so he says, you must choose... Uh, you may choose to do nothing, though your words promise much. And then on the other hand, you may choose to do something for someone, but your motives are impure and your intentions are evil. And, and we call, what we call this is manipulation, right? Uh, when, I, when I do something that seems selfless, but really I'm trying to get something in return for that, that's not selflessness, that's manipulation. And so he says God, God cares about both our motives and our actions. He wants us to love and to care for others just like we have been loved and cared for by Jesus. He says, do you see, he says, do you want to see love in deed and in action and in truth? And the Bible will say, just look to the cross. Look to that model and keep following after that. And so, so then we go, we go verses 19 through uh, 24. And we're just going to read them. We're, gonna have to, we're not going to walk through them near as, as slowly. Says this, because this is is beautiful. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, okay? Have you ever been there? Have you ever had your heart condemn you? Maybe maybe you don't put it that way, but but have you ever felt in your spirit that you're not worthy? You say, I'm not good enough. I'm not capable enough. I am. I'm not only letting myself down, but I'm letting all these other people down. So he says, he says, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And then I, I love this, this little throwaway. And he knows everything. He knows everything. Beloved, if, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I find that to be true about myself. When I know when I have confessed my sin before God, when I know I am walking in forgiveness, when I know I am pursuing holiness, when I know I am putting love on display, I have much more confidence when we're talking to God. And it's never, hey, check out how good I'm doing today. Never that. It always comes from this gratitude of how good you are. That you would love me, how merciful you are, that you would care for someone like me. So he says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what He pleases. Now, we're not going to address that, but boy, that's a verse that we pastors, oh man, we will manipulate that to sell you a lot of stuff. Verse 23, and this is His commandment. Okay, so... This is God's commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. 
It says, whoever keeps this commandment abides in God and God in him. And, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And, and I think, I think this, this answers a great question, a great mystery of the world. Right? Even people who don't really know God, they will say, what does God want with my life? And we, we do a pretty good job of making that very complicated. And I think we make it complicated, again, because it's easier to ignore what's really going on. So what does God want me to do with my life? And it's simply these two steps. Now, everything else is a byproduct of these two steps. That you, how does he say it? That you would believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And then you would love others. And that's, that's not two steps, that's a process. We think of it as two steps, right? We, we say we love, we love God and we love others. We love people. And it's not. It's, it's a process that, that as my love for God grows, inevitably a fruit of that love becomes my affection for other people. So what does God want with my life? Well, He wants you to know Jesus and He wants you to love others. And you say, well, that doesn't help this issue that I'm facing right now. And I'm like, mm, I get that. I get that. But that's why God tells us in His Word to call out to Him. That He will answer us. That He will tell us great and unsearchable things we don't know. But when we talk about the purpose of our lives as Christians, is that we would know Jesus and that we would love others. In fact, Jesus tells us this. He Somebody walks up and they're trying to give him a trick question. They're like, what's the greatest of the commandments? And he's like, that you would, your life would be about your love for God. And that everything that you have would be this, this declaration, would be this model of your love for God. And he says, and secondly, equal to, that you would love others as you love yourself. So this is, this is where John is kind of leading us. He says, hey, that hatred that you have for your brother. Okay? He's not even dealing with your hatred that you might have for an unbeliever. He's talking about hatred that you have for people in the fold. He's like, you've got to deal with that. You've got to forgive that. You've got to walk in reconciliation with that. Or else it's going to sabotage you. It's a reflection that you don't really know the gospel. And this is what I love about John. Again, None of that's easy, right? <laughs> None of that's easy. Because you start to think of moments and you start to think of people and you're like, they don't deserve my love. And God will very lovingly come in and say, absolutely, they don't because you don't. And so we walk in this, not middle ground, but we walk in this invitation to holiness. And that's where we are. I love you guys. This week we're going to love God. Bye. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You love us. We thank You that You've given us Your Word this morning. We pray that Your Spirit would give us courage to, to walk in it. That, that in this moment, You would bring our hearts to You. You would help us understand where we need to repent. 
where we need to forgive, where we need to confess hurts. Because Father, I pray that our lives would be more like Abel. That as a response to Your incredible majesty, we would present our very best to You. Father, I pray You would help us not have hearts like Cain, who allow bitterness and envy to grow into anger and hatred and finally expressing itself in murder. Father, we pray for those in this room today that need a little extra prayer. We pray for those in this room who don't know You. Who have never given their hearts to Your Son to be both Lord and Savior. We pray You would draw them out today. That You would help them see their freedom that they have in You. We pray that You would help us who are dead to come back to life. We love You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.